Welcome to Ask the Music Director, a podcast where I get to interview some of my favorite singers, actors, and music makers about what makes them who they are. And they get to ask me, the music director, anything they want. I'm your host, Dennis Curley. Today, I'll be talking with Twin Cities musical icon, Leslie Ball. Leslie has performed on theater stages and in music clubs around the region and the country, and her first solo recording, Loring Park, earned her a Minnesota Music Award for Best Female Songwriter. Many musicians, including Helen Reddy and Nick Lowe, have performed and recorded Leslie's material. In August of 1991, she launched Ball's Cabaret, a weekly experimental stage for artists of any discipline at any level of experience. Balls continually wins awards as the best open stage in town and was cited in the New York Times as a must-see while in the Twin Cities. The local press often refers to Leslie as the den mother of the Twin Cities art community. We spoke at my studio in North Minneapolis. Leslie Ball, thank you so much for doing this and for coming up here to my home. Thank you for asking. I appreciate it. We're neighbors. We're sort of neighbors, yeah. aren't we? North um, Minneapolis. Yeah. Go north. Go north. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to start by talking about Jim and I came and saw you the other night. Um, it was a Mother's Day show at the Dakota. And first of all, it was an incredible show. Thank Super you. fun. It was the, the, the vocalists were you, Kate Fierro, and Katie Garrity. And the band was uh, Peter Gurton and oh, Leto and Wright, Leto, Steve Leto, yeah. John Wright. Um, ben Kaplan. Ben Kaplan. Uh, I know the sax player, too. Um, Dave Foley. Mm-hmm. I know him. I've worked with him. The other horn players I didn't know. It was great. So who, who put that show together and how? what was the genesis okay. of that show? The genesis of that show. Mick Sterling. Oh, he did put that together. together. Okay. Uh, these various uh, reviews or tributes pieces and he approached me actually a few years ago said he wanted to do Ricky Lee Jones, Eva Cassidy and Laura Nero and would I be part of that and that's how I got to meet all these other musicians okay. and my uh, Mick and I, our paths had crossed years previous for some benefit you know he does a lot of fundraising yeah. such a good soul and so um, we sort of knew who each other were I didn't realize until the project started that he used to come see my band when he was a youngster. Because <laughs> I'm older than everybody else on that stage. No. And I was so touched that he invited me to be part of this project. So I got to meet Kate yep. and Katie for the first time. And when, so you say the first time. When is the, the first, first time you did this The first time was show? a couple years ago, and it was specifically for a benefit. Okay. For his um, uh, 30 Days Foundation? It was actually another organization that works with people in recovery. Okay. And we did the show at the Parkway. Oh, yeah. And uh, then we had other opportunities to, to recreate little pieces of it here and there. But then it kind of just went away because they are so busy. Those folks are working yeah. all over. Yeah. Um, and then, lo and behold, Kate Fierro organized this piece at the Dakota for Mother's Day. And it, mm-hmm. it, we didn't get a lot of lead time, and she wanted to expand the song list. Ah. So it was a lot of material to learn okay. in a small space yep. with my shrinking brain. <laughs> and that was really uh, an issue. When I was younger, I, 
I, I did not have as much difficulty memorizing as now I'm in my 60s, and it is more challenging. Interesting. Okay. It is interesting. And what I was impressed by, and I, this is sort of inside baseball here, but, uh, you know, I do a lot of gigs with my band. I go see a lot of other bands, and a lot of us do these one-offs. And frankly, we, I will lump a lot of people in with the we here, have fallen into this trap of a music stand or an iPad with the lyrics in front of us. And... Um, I get it because I do it. I totally understand it. But I was super impressed that none of you did that. You learned well, your stuff. Let me tell you that there actually was a screen on the stage floor. Was there? However, I don't like to look down. Yeah. And so I made a number of mistakes because I didn't want to look down at the screen and search <laughs> for the spot I'm in the song and sure. I just go for, you. for yeah. it. And so a lyric gets... Uh, Ad, uh, what's the word? Adapted. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim and I saw Linda Ronstadt at Orchestra Hall a few years back before she had to stop singing. And um, she had a big old teleprompter. Yeah. And we, we just watched the other night on, on Axis TV. The um, It was an Emmylou Harris tribute concert. And all these famous people were there. And Alison Krauss and, uh, you know, all these. Anyway, and there was a giant teleprompter sure. there, too. So I, I guess it's not just us, but... I, I appreciated that it felt like you all well, put in the work. Thank you. Yeah. So of that evening of music, what was your favorite piece to sing? And what was your favorite piece that you didn't sing that you liked to hear the huh. others do? Uh, well, Because I had my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> As a singer, let's see. Uh, well, the, I do love Skeletons. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the finest Ricky songs Jones. ever. Oh. So and you performed it beautifully, and that you. was that was my favorite. You hit it right away. <laughs> thank you. Uh, the, it's it's a just a remarkable piece of work, mm -hmm. and my challenge in that one is to feel it and not lose it. Yeah, because if I really feel that song, even now you can hear I'm mm -hmm. about to cry. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, to sing together when Katie sings Songbird. Mm -hmm. And I get to join in with her mm. on the harmonies. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And Eli, those harmonies were yeah. rocking. And, mm -hmm. and so that's really fun. So much of the singing I do is on my own. And mm -hmm. it was really delightful to get to sing with these other women. It was a nice sounding trio, too. Really? Did you, Good. Oh, the blend was really lovely. And, and I appreciated that you, there's an interchangeability. Amongst yeah. the three of you, which is what I like about that Dolly Parton, Linda Ronson, Emily Harris trio. Yes. They're often switching parts. And I know I know um, Katie's voice enough to hear where she was going. And uh -huh. I know your voice enough. And I just sort of guessed, which was Kate, because hers is the one yeah. I, I know the least. And so you, it was nice to you hear you guys jumping around. You have a good ear. <laughs> believe me, we were jumping around. Yeah. There are times when I was in the basement and times uh -huh. I felt like I was in the stratosphere. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, uh, and I liked that challenge. Yeah. And... Um, it was great to see you fronting a band. Um, and I, I, I'd i be lying if I said fronting a band again because I watched you in Rue Nouveau in the 80s. I didn't live here in the 80s. So that's not true. Yeah, I can't say yeah, that. Yeah. But I know that you did. Uh -huh. And I've known you uh, since 1992, which is, what is that, 26 years now? So did we meet through the cabaret? We met at Ball's yeah. Cabaret in 1992 because I was doing a show around the corner. Uh, Balls is every Saturday night, we should say, at the Southern Theater. At the Southern Theater. Yes. And it starts at midnight, midnight. or 11. It starts midnight. at midnight. 
Uh, and I was doing Forever Plaid uh, at oh, the old Dudley Rink space. That's in where Seven we first Corners. met. I thought that's so. where we first met. Yeah. Was Rob? Uh, Rob Birdall. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He he brought me. He said you have to come see this, and I thought. You know, at the time, I was really young, and going to a show that starts at midnight yeah. seemed like a great idea. Yeah. And I loved it, and I went often, and you let me sing often, and it was a, yeah, that was yeah. a great experience. So, but I've never, I didn't know you uh, in front of Gary's band, but I knew that was a thing you did. So so backtrack and, and fill in for us a little bit. Um well, in 1955, <laughs> you, uh, in terms of, of what you do, so this okay. was great to see you do okay. this, and I know you do a lot of other things. You have a Master of Divinity, you yes. are an efficient, you teach yoga, you you got, uh, I believe, an MFA in musical theater writing, right? So you, you have all of these things. Dude, you did your homework. <laughs> yeah. A lot of this I knew, but some yeah. of it I did. Yeah. And um, so what it, when you think of yourself, well. who are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> is that a good question? <laughs> yeah, you know, I always come to things later than most people, and at sixty-three, I'm having a midlife crisis, really? so which is a little behind schedule. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Okay, so when I was little, I wanted to be a performer. Yeah, that was really okay. clear. Um, there you were grew up in Duluth, right? Gr- yeah, from Minnesota. Nineteen fifty-five, yeah. born in Duluth. Great place to grow up. Okay. Lake Superior. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I, I would have difficulty leaving there now. It's not as diverse as sure. I need. And so, um, but I love going up there. I mm-hmm. love uh, the Lake Superior does something for my mm. soul. Um, my mom is still alive, 90 years old. Oh go my mom. Gosh. Wow. Yeah. That's great. And she lives down on Park Point. Oh, she does. Yeah. Oh, I've been there. I, yeah. Jim and I went out there. We want to go to the end and just walk around a bit yeah. and see what it's like. Yeah. Um, in school, I uh, did, you know, theater things in school and college. Uh, and then met Gary Rue and uh, was just blown away by his talent. And to this day, I swoon when he sings. I think he was put on this planet to make music. Mm. What a talent. Yeah. And um, he persuaded me to try being a duo. Okay. And was incredibly generous, patient. Um, Okay, so let me go back because of Gary, just for our listeners who don't know. um, I feel the same way about Gary as you're describing. He is... Gosh, he has been a band leader. He's worked with Gene Pitney. He's worked with some of the girl, 60s girl groups. Yeah, he has yeah, directed yeah, yeah. those. He is, uh, I think, he, did he not write the the Place for Fun in Your Life, Mall of America jingle? Was he that did. him? Yeah. So, like, he's, and I knew that back when I first met him. I thought, oh, you're that guy. You're incredible. But he's also, uh, self-effacing is not the right word. He's just low-key. He is. He's, he doesn't go out right, and ring his own bell. Right. But he... If for the listeners, if you don't know who Gary Rue is, I insist that you look it up right now because you should know who we're talking about. He's an incredible musician whose current, I guess, current project is Lush Country with Prudence and Dan, and they do uh, up at uh, Crooners, Crooners, and, yeah. and all around. So, so when you met Gary, what was he doing? Who was he then? He was in a band called now. Was it Nip and Tuck at that point? I okay. think they were called Nip and Tuck. I was persuaded to go see him perform, and. And I, when I saw him on stage, 
I remember thinking it was like seeing a fish who had been out of water suddenly dropped into the water and all their colors come alive. And he just, he, he, he shone, he fit, he shimmered. He was so... Oh, that's a beautiful He was so in his element Wow. on the stage. Yeah. And uh, I just fell in love with huh. this incredible artist. And yeah. we actually were a couple for a while. Oh, yeah. I think I remember that. Long, Long ago. ago. <laughs> uh, and, and toured as a duo okay. called... Leroux, L-E-S-R-U-E. Uh-huh. Oh, ah, isn't that French? It's very French. And it's also their names. I know. Yeah. No, that's great. And we did a lot of lounges. And so in this duo, he I would play guitar and sing and yes. you would sing. Would you also and play keys? Or I just... don't remember if okay. I played keys in that. I don't okay. think so. He might remember that I did play keys. Okay. I don't know. Okay. And we did, you know, covers. Yeah. And then every now and then we'd sneak in a Gary Roo song. Okay. Um and I was absolutely terrified. And again, I just, what a blessing to have him as a mentor. Yeah. I had experience in theater, and then I sort of introduced him to the theater world. I had friends who were doing, Peter Moore was doing some show, and I dragged Gary to it, and okay. he kind of fell in love with it. He'd done one show as a little kid, but hadn't really spent much time in the theater world until... We hung out. And, and then, now he's uh, written, I think oh he's gosh. won awards for the theater productions he's written, and, and they're yeah. incredibly popular, yeah. incredibly well-known. I've gotten to sing in some of them, and I love them. And and so you introduce him to theater. That's really cool. It is cool. We taught each other a lot. We grew, you know, we were in our 20s, so mm-hmm. we sort of grew up together. Um, and then we were approached to, someone wanted to do a USO tour. Okay, so which so is what we were, were talking about before we turned yeah. the mics on. <laughs> and so we teamed up with some other musicians. Uh, I think it was a five-piece band, and did a tour of Panama and the Caribbean, and okay, and uh, lots of adventures, <laughs> uh, touring there. And then we really liked having the bigger sound, and so when we came back. We expanded to a larger band. And that was Rue Nouveau. And that was Rue Nouveau. Okay. And what an education. And I I don't know about you. I look back and, and regret how much I took for granted. I took my youth for granted. Yeah. But the opportunity, you know, that I would get caught up in stage fright or uh, wishing that the audience would listen more. And there's a part of me that, that now I look back and just think, I wish I could have just really appreciated the adventure. Sure. But that just comes with age. Yeah. So And you do. I, I, I've caught myself in those moments, too, um, because there was, there was a time, I think, uh, gosh, 17 years, Katie Hayes and I were fronting a band together. And there are times I, I wish I had those days back because that wasn't, this is going to sound crazy, but that was an easy life. It was doing what we love to do with people we love to do it, mm. you know, and, and life now is a lot more, um, seems like there's a lot more work sometimes. Mm. And, but I don't regret it because we did, we did love it. I mean, I understand that you, sometimes you look back and think, oh, I, I should have appreciated that, but I bet you did. I bet you did. Well, I hope, I hope I had some awareness of how incredibly lucky I was. Mm-hmm. So then it was the 80s. And how, <clears throat> how long was that band together? You guys have a couple of albums, two, two yeah, three studio did, albums? Yeah, uh, we did. Worlds Away was our first album. Okay. And then uh, 
We were invited by a local, well, he's not here anymore, David Ira Goldstein, who now lives in, I think he's in Arizona now, but he mm. was a major director with the Actors Theater in St. Paul. Okay. And someone made a joke once that I, I love. They said if, when we would play in Minneapolis, usually on Monday nights when the theaters were closed, there would be so many theater people there. Mm -hmm. And someone said, if a bomb went off at a Renew gig, half the arts community <laughs> would be <laughs> disappointed. <clears throat> Which is kind of a horrible joke. But yeah. at any rate, yeah. David Ira Goldstein from Actors Theater had the idea of pairing us with a playwright. He had a playwright friend named Stephen Dietz who wrote a play called Painting It Red. Mm -hmm. So that was our second record. Okay. And Gary and I wrote the music for Painting so it Red. So it was a score for a, a it show. It was called a concert play. Okay. And it was about a lead singer in a band recovering from heartache, because at that point I was recovering from a big love affair that mm -hmm. it meant a lot to me, and it ended, and, um, and discovering herself, and then going on to a new life. And so there were songs about Heartbreak, yeah. and then songs about self-discovery, yeah. and then songs about counting our blessings was okay. the last big song. Cool. It was cool, and it was a sweet record. And we actually were invited to do the show at Berkeley Rep. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was an oh, wow. And again at uh, Pittsburgh City Theater. Mm -hmm. So great experiences yeah. to be in these different audiences and different communities and still get appreciated. Because yeah. sometimes you think... Well, everyone's saying nice things because they're my friends. And yet you go somewhere nobody and knows you. you go somewhere yeah. where no one yeah. knows you and yeah. you still get um, yeah. glowing reviews. That feels really good. Yeah. So was that a transition to theater for both? Because you, you, when I asked you to do this podcast, you said, oh, but I'm not really in the theater scene. And I said, no, that's, first of all, that's not true. And second of all, there's a lot of reasons I want you on this podcast. Um, did you start to do more theater at that point, both of you? Painting It Red happened in Pittsburgh. And then after Pittsburgh, I went to New York. Uh, someone on the faculty of NYU had our Painting It Red record and uh, approached me and invited me to do the MFA program in writing wow. for music theater. Wow. And I was so flattered and intimidated and signed up and was a horrible student. Okay. I'm not a, as disciplined a person as I would like to be. But you got out, you got out with your MFA. I, they were kind and gave me an MFA, yes. I was approached while I was in New York, uh, a great writer, John Gaspard. Oh, I know John very yeah. well. Not very well, but I, yeah. Well, I'm, he had I'm a written, supporter of John's. Yeah, I'm a, a supporter fan. Mm. Well, back then, before I even moved to New York, he had written a movie about a singer in a band. Mm -hmm. Do you see a theme The theme, here? I love it. <laughs> uh, who is about to marry a jerk. Wow. And the ghost of her old boyfriend comes back to sort of steer her to a wiser choice. Wow. Yeah, it's called Beyond Bob. And did you star in this movie? Well, he had written it with me in yeah. mind. That's that's how yeah. I knew about it, was he told me about it. And then when I was out in New York, he called and said, would you come, after you graduate, would you come back to Minneapolis for the summer? 
and shoot this movie. So I sublet the apartment in New York because at that point I had actually settled into my own apartment. Oh, okay. What do you know? Nice. After over a year of just yeah. floating around, yeah. settled down in the East Village. So I sublet the place, came back to Minneapolis for the summer <laughs> to do this movie. In which, what year? What summer? Uh, 1991. Okay. 91. Okay. Uh, and we shot over just a handful of weekends. Mm-hmm. This is back when film was film, and you couldn't just shoot, oh, shoot, yeah, shoot. Oh, yeah, you could just was, You had to plan it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Peter Moore mm-hmm. played the creepy boyfriend. Okay. Oh, he was so good. <laughs> he was such, he's such a good actor. What a professional. Being on set with Peter Moore was really a great education for me. Cool. And Michael Levin mm-hmm. played the ghost. Wow. Bob, beyond Bob. Yeah who comes back to haunt this band reunion and help me see the light and realize I shouldn't marry the creepy lying manager. And instead, I should fall in love with this wonderful person who'd been my friend mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for years, which is funny now that I think about it, because what I ended up, you know, I ended up falling in love with someone who is my buddy for yeah. years yeah. with my husband. Yeah. So John Gaspard is uh-huh. prescient, really. I, I saw his movie, The Cookie Project. Yeah, I think Jim wrote one of the scenes for it. And a bunch of people, yeah. seven deadly sins were turned into cookie delivery. It was, yes. it was great. And so I think that's where I met John. And I've heard of this movie. Can you can you rent this or is it on YouTube or something? Beyond Bob, I know it was picked <clears throat> up by something called Spiritual Cinema. It was actually, okay. it, it won a couple little indie awards. And okay. it is a tender movie it, it is sounds like really... i know everyone in it so i should you I do should see it. <laughs> yes you will be so surprised when you see it oh, and nice. uh after the movie wrapped oh that sounds so much fancier <laughs> than it was um i while i was still in new york i remember thinking you know i'm going to have this time at the end of the summer before i return to new york was my thought at the time i had been part of a community that uh, they would do these little cabarets down in um, Tribeca mm-hmm. called No Shame. Hmm. Isn't that a great name? Yeah. No Shame. And it was yeah. a lot of transplanted Midwesterners, okay. people from Minnesota, Iowa mainly. Mm-hmm. And watching what they were doing, just creating new works, and s- several people would share the stage, I thought, that'd be fun to try in Minneapolis. And so I talked to other friends here, and I uh, wrote the Jungle Theater, which at that point was on Lake Street. Yes. And they were just about to open. And I, I wrote them and said, would you consider letting me just do a six-week experiment, mm-hmm. midnights? Mm-hmm. We'll work on existing sets. We won't change your light mm-hmm. plots. Uh, I want it to be open to everybody, anybody, uh, no censorship, mm-hmm. uh, no production values. And they responded and said, nobody is going to come at midnight, but you go ahead. You can try. Thank you very much, Bain and George mm-hmm. at the Old Jungle. Mm-hmm. And so we launched Ball's Cabaret. That's yeah. so great. So tell us about, so tell us what okay, Balls so is. Balls, you told us okay. the genesis of it. Okay. So what is your philosophy so, and who gets to play and, and how does it work? Okay. The format is for anybody at any level of experience, any discipline they want, 
to do anything they want. Wow. And they get up to seven minutes. I think okay. initially I didn't understand that we should have a time limit. Yeah. I think I just said, oh, whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, I learned yeah. a lot of things yeah. by doing them <laughs> incorrectly. And a really powerful value around no censorship. Initially, um, I would perform more frequently, but then sort of became really comfortable just being uh, – I. Uh, facilitator. Well, so at the end of the six weeks, the jungle approached me and said, would you consider doing this for another six weeks? Mm. And I called my subletter in New York and said, can you stay on for another six weeks? They said, sure. And do you know that, was it because it was successful financially or people were showing up or they saw it and they liked what you were doing and wanted to support it? I think it was a little bit of everything and it was starting to kind of generate this energy around that neighborhood. It was a sober crowd because there wasn't any alcohol involved. Mm -hmm. So that attracts a different quality of audience. Mm. They're not going to a comedy club to get Mm -hmm. drunk and Mm -hmm. laugh at dick jokes. Mm -hmm. They are um, there to see what the artist is going to do and be completely surprised and be supportive. And so they said, would you stay for another six weeks and then 12 weeks? So this happened a number of times where I'm calling my subletter saying, can you stay on for another? (laughs) Until I think it had been almost a year before I realized, I think I've moved back to Minneapolis. Wow. And I was sort of hopping around again, house sitting Mm -hmm. for people. Eventually... Settled back into an apartment. And then at 18 months, the jungle came to me again and said, we're going to try doing some late night stuff. Seems to work well. Would you be open to doing it once a month instead of every Uh, week? So we can start programming some other stuff. And I went to, I think it was five artists. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell anybody else. Just five artists and said... I want your opinion. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that habitual practice is important. The mm-hmm. habitual, everyone knows it's every Saturday. Mm-hmm. I think that is part of why Balls works. Mm-hmm. But I want your opinion. What do you... And my phone started ringing off the wall with people saying, bring the cabaret to us. <sighs> wow. It was remarkable. Someone from the Walker called. All oh these gosh. people all over. And that Saturday night when I went to the jungle to do balls, yeah. Jeff Bartlett from the Southern Theater was sitting there waiting for me say it, and said, bring it to the Southern. Wow. So we moved to the Southern in order to keep it a weekly yeah. thing. And it's a and great it's been there since fit. It's the great perfect. Fit. I've wanted to rent that theater thousands of times oh. and often have been unable to for a variety of reasons but the crumbling proscenium arch the beautiful i mean it's just beautiful it feels authentic it feels intimate you know it's oh that place is magic yeah and those walls mm. have been inspiring artists for generations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so balls goes through um cycles we have cycles where it's really dry and we don't see very many people. There was one night when three people showed up. Wow. And then the, for some reason, all of a sudden, a, 
a bunch of college students from McAllister will discover us mm. and they bring in all this energy for a stretch of months and then wow. they graduate yeah. and then it's kind of a dried up little gully and then suddenly someone else discovers us. And so... But the management at the Southern has never been bothered by this. The management at the Southern has been remarkable, so supportive, because they believe in the mission Mm -hmm. of trying to be a greenhouse for new work. Mm -hmm. So So can I go back? Yes, of course. To the early 90s. It's the early 90s. It's the early 90s. I'm going to describe for you an impression of what I think your life was like, and you're going to correct me. (laughs) Or maybe you're not. I don't know. But... To my mind, I'm talking about Nicollet Island. Yeah. Uh, what I envisioned was this incredible commune-like um, Armistead Maupin's Tales of the City, uh, these interconnected uh. people and their lives and this, this place, this magical place that they lived. And now in my memory, it, you lived there. I, I may be wrong, but you lived there, I think, Gary... Maybe Prudence, maybe Dan Chenard, maybe George Maurer at some point. Is, and you all had this beautiful interconnected artistic life. Now, how much of that is true and how much of that is completely made up? There is, like everything, uh-huh. <laughs> so much of that is true and there's so much more. Because I visited, uh, I can't even remember who I would have visited because, I mean, I knew you guys sort uh-huh. of, but I, would, I went a couple of times. Maybe somebody's having a party. I don't know. So I was there. Uh-huh. I just didn't know. I didn't know the history. I didn't know you all. Okay, so early 90s, actually when Balls launched, I was in Loring Park. You were living in Loring Park? No, no. When it launched, I was still house-sitting all over the place. So I was kind of a gypsy. Okay. And then settled down in Loring Park and was there for a while when I made the record, Mm -hmm. Loring Park. Mm -hmm. And then moved to Nicollet Island. Uh, It was 94. 96, 94, mid-90s. Sure, yeah. And at that point, I was the only one of those folks living down there. Okay. And then I talked to Gary and Prudence and George Maurer and Patrick Scully and John Eller. Yes, oh, sure. John Eller, monster musician. Yes. And persuaded them. <clears throat> you don't have to persuade. You just mm-hmm. say, "Why don't you come live on Nicollet Island?" Yes. <laughs> and, and when you say that, now what? What describe? What is this living situation we're talking about? So Nicollet Island, when it gentrified a few decades ago, some of the locals, uh, thankfully, lobbied for some of the housing to stay affordable, ah, okay. as these people with money were coming in yeah. and gentrifying, yeah. and so they organized a neighborhood cooperative. Mm-hmm. And set aside half a dozen buildings, cut them up into apartments. Oh, okay. So our house was a fourplex. Okay. Some were duplexes. Sure. And that was lovely that it's not common in the United States of America that you have that much diversity around economics, that there Mm -hmm. could be someone with a lot of money Mm -hmm. living next door to some of us who were artists making a lot less. Mm -hmm. So you were there from 90, say, 4 or 5 to... Almost 20 years. Oh, my gosh. You were there that whole time. Okay. And that's when I, where I was living when I met the love of my life who walked into the cabaret. He walked into the cabaret one night as an audience member. Wow. And I certainly noticed him because Mm. he is gorgeous. (laughs) And... uh, He's very handsome. Oh, gosh. (laughs) And I, uh, he asked to perform the next Saturday. Okay. He was very quiet. 
Um, and he juggled his first week. Or really? He did, he did Diablo. Do you know what Diablo is with the sticks, uh, sticks. and the strings? Yeah. It's sort of a yeah, Chinese yeah, yeah. thing. And, and he was brilliant. And, and then he just kind of kept coming around and hanging out and well, talked a little bit more. He played Does music. He sing too? And yes, he sings. And okay. he would do these songs about being in love with this woman who seemed really uh, unattainable. <laughs> and I would, th- I would listen to him and think, I wonder who he's singing about. Well, she's Aww. lucky. He's such a great guy. I really liked him. We started hanging out. At one point, my tech director couldn't make it, and I happened to be hanging with Ocean. And I turned to him and said, could you do it? And mm-hmm. he said, yeah. And he's been our tech director okay. ever since. Wow. So good at it. He created a couple shows and asked me to do music. So, yeah, we were buddies for three years. Okay. And then he sat me down one day and asked that we be more than buddies. Oh. And I said, I have a standard speech that I give right now of, well, thank you very much. I'm very flattered. I'm not looking for a relationship. But for some reason, I don't feel compelled to give you that speech. And I don't know what that means. Wow. I was so, I'm so grateful that I was that in the moment. Yeah. And just reporting as I was feeling. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. And so we started dating. And, you know, within two weeks, I was gaga, over the moon, just (laughs) couldn't believe my good fortune. And we knew each other so well at that point. Yeah. He moved in weeks later. Um, You said he asked to play. Do people just ask, can I play? Or do they sign up online? Or how many people a night perform? What's what's the... That? Because people who are listening to this, I, I was very careful in choosing who I wanted to talk to this first season of this podcast. And I, I chose everybody for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, apart from the fact I don't see you enough, mm-hmm. is there's a whole generation of, of theater actors in town who don't know about balls. And yeah. I, I know you don't uh-huh. take that personally. You don't feel badly. Uh, funny side story. We were, uh, I was helping Lauren Anderson from the Brave New Workshop uh-huh. get ready for a performance at the Ivies a couple of years back. And she sang. And all we heard from everyone in the audience was, I didn't know there was a comedy theater in Minneapolis. Like, no one knew that the Brave New Workshop. <laughs> so so take this for what it's worth. There's a whole generation of young right. actors who don't know that your cabaret exists and has been ongoing for 27 years. Yeah. So, so tell us about if somebody wants to be a part of this, sure. what do they do? <clears throat> Usually people come see it. Okay. And then once they've seen it. They sign up for the next week or down the road, whenever mm-hmm. works. We also have a Facebook page, mm-hmm. so they can just go to the Facebook page and say, okay. I want to perform such and such a date. Yeah, okay. That's it. That easy. It is that easy. Um, so when you think about what what makes a career, <laughs> it's fun because we get to do a million different things, those of us who are sort yeah. of independent artists. And like I said, you've got your MDiv and... Uh, you teach yoga now. And when you think about uh, being a performer, what sort of rings your bell the most, do you think, today? Uh, I'm going to surprise myself saying hmm. this. I will say that in retrospect, what rings my bell is being pushed to a place that is scary. So here I am. I've been thinking about this a lot since Sunday night, and today yeah. is Wednesday. Yeah. I'm 63. My voice is going to continue to age. My pitch is going to go wherever it goes. I want to 
get as much as I can out of what's left because I walked away from, I'm going to cry now. Is that okay? Yes. I walked away from a full-time music career for a number of reasons. I just was called to teach. I taught for almost a decade in a, in a high school for kids in recovery, mm-hmm. teenagers in recovery. Mm-hmm. And as someone in recovery, that felt like a calling. Yeah. And then went straight from there into seminary mm-hmm. um, because I wanted to figure out how to articulate a, a politically progressive theology because I felt like our our language around spirit was being completely co-opted by the radical right. Mm-hmm. And that's so that's so not yeah. what we're supposed to be yeah. doing in the world. We're supposed to be taking care of the planet and yeah. each other. It's not about dominion, it's about stewardship. Right. And so so uh, five years in seminary and falling in love with the ritual of of uh, worship and um, ceremonies. I do a lot of weddings now mm-hmm. and have really come to appreciate that part of my life, trying to create a space for the couple that focuses on why they're there. It's not about the dress or the the, the flowers. It's about what we're doing. It's not about the day. Yeah. It's about the this. The future. future and how do we articulate that in the ceremony? Yeah. So how do I hold the space for the yeah. couple? How do I help everybody there be present a- as witnesses? Mm-hmm. What is sacred responsibility? So all of those pieces and then the yoga. Oh, I could talk about that forever. <laughs> um, all of these pieces that I feel called to do and nurtured by, but I miss, I miss my life as a musician. That's why when you approached me about doing this, I thought, oh, I'm such an imposter because I haven't been doing music like Mm. I did back in the day with Carrie Rue. So I feel like a dilettante being invited to do something and just sort of step in. And so what I want to say, I have been saying to myself the last few days, and I'm saying out loud now to you as a witness is, I may not have a long career ahead, but there's. I want to get back on stage, good, and make music as for as long as I can. Good. I want to be writing more, and I want to be making more. That makes me very happy to hear. Thank you. I, I, again, I don't know what your journey has been in the last five, ten years, but. You haven't lost a step on stage. Oh, bless your heart. So, and you deserved to be on the stage with them. And it was a great, great pairing of people. Pairing is Thank more you. than two people. Yeah, it was wonderful. Thank you for that. What you said is so beautiful. And now I, and I think everybody else want to hear you sing. So will you sing something? Yes. What will you sing? I will sing a piece from Painting It Red. Okay. So Gary Rue and I wrote a lot of songs together and attached both our names to uh, songs. And there are songs that really were 99.9% Gary Rue. Mm-hmm. And this happens to be one that was 99% me. And when I sang it to Gary and asked him what we should do to it, he said, you do not change a single thing in this song. Mm-hmm. So it's in the play, Painting It Red, it's when this character, 
uh, this, this the band singer. The band singer has been approached by her buddy who she loves as a buddy and will always love as a buddy. Okay. And he wants to be more than friends. And she says, I don't I don't even remember the script, but okay. but it is, you know, thank you. I'm flattered. I'm not looking for a relationship right now. And when he leaves, he says, Do me a favor, don't write a song about this, okay? And walks off the stage. And I turn and look at the band and they all shake their heads and they walk off stage. So Ooh. I'm by myself. Yeah. So I wrote a song called Acapella. And this is the song. We never missed a beat before. I hadn't realized that you were hearing more. I wonder what you listen for. I'm singing to myself. The dearest man at the damnedest time. I didn't mean to beat you to the punchline. Was this the game you had in mind? I'm singing to myself. There's a magic to my mornings. There's a quiet. In my heart, there's a secret to my longings I'm still learning. Right now, I miss the parts of me that once upon I gave away so willingly. And as they all come back to me, I worry, will they recognize the melody I'm singing to myself? <sighs> I enjoyed that. Thanks. <laughs> At uh, this point, uh, I always say, um, this is the part where we get to turn it around. Yay! We call the podcast Ask the Music yes, Director. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And we've never worked in this relationship. Actually, none of the people I've had on have. No, Sally Wright and I did a show together and I was the music director. But most people, not. And um, so you can ask me whatever you want. And it can be about me. It can be about my life and my career. Or it can be about me as a music director. Like, what do I think about this? Or under what circumstance do I like that? Anything you want at all. It's, the stage is yours. It was so illuminating to hear you say that you see other people play and feel like, oh, you are not in their league. Because I, am, I think of you as someone with such confidence. And, of course, we all <laughs> have. There's this great 12-step phrase about you mustn't compare your insides to other people's outsides. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, so at what age did you decide you should be a music director? It, I was always a good arranger. Even in, uh, before high school, my sister and I would listen to the carpenters Aww. and, uh, 
she and I would, you know, we would we would uh, put on ABBA shows in our basement with our disco light and stuff like that. So we always sang together. We would we would sing Jesus Christ Superstar and act it out. Uh, but we would listen to the Carpenters and we would want to do those arrangements yeah. and I would transcribe them because that was just a sort of a thing, I, a skill I had. I was able to hear the arrangements. So you knew music well enough to... I, I, I did. And I say this in my... I do a, a, a sort of a one-man... It's not a one-man show by any means, but I do a John Denver show, which I is... I love that show. Based on... Got to see <laughs> thank it. you. Based on sort of a, the idea of a one-man show because I talk about myself and then I sing these songs. And I talk about in that show how... Everything my sister did, I had to do. So she learned to read music. I learned to read music. She learned to play piano. I learned to play piano. I was just... What's the age difference? Two years. Okay. So I just followed her along and did whatever she did. So so I learned how to write music because she wrote music. And I learned how to transcribe because she could transcribe. So that was just something I did. And um, so I would arrange things. And in high school, I started... I would arrange a few things for the show choir or for the regular choir. And then... They were lucky. (laughs) I don't know if they were any good back then. Who knows? You know, it's hard to know. And then in college, in my freshman year in college, I was approached to assistant music director show. And... um, I realized, oh, I get this. I understand this because I had mm-hmm. led choirs before. I'd run rehearsals before. And I thought, oh, this is all this is, I, which to some people I know seems weird and mysterious. But to me, it was like, oh, I get what this is. I understand what this is. And so I I started doing it in college uh, and then even did it professionally in Chicago a little bit. And then because, um, again, as I talk about in my show, I... I have this internal struggle. It's a little bit of what you're saying, except I knew, I always knew that what I really wanted to do was sing. And that's the only thing that really brings me joy. Wow. I can do the other stuff, but when people find out you do the other stuff, that's what they want you to do. Mm. They want you to, as I say in the show, they want you to accompany them. They want you to support them so that they can be out in front. And I'm not actually obsessed with the, the spotlight. I'm not, that's not why I want to do it. I do it because it feels so right to me when I'm singing um, that that feels like that's what I should be doing. Um, so when I moved to Minnesota, I didn't tell anybody that I played the piano and I didn't tell anybody that I was a music director. And so for years, nobody knew. So it was a total secret. And then gradually it, it became a career necessity, frankly, huh. that I needed to, to do something to make money. And so I started music directing again. Wow. Yeah. Do you believe that everyone who sings can belt? (laughs) Or is that something that some people just do not have the equipment to belt? I want to ask you afterwards why you're asking me this question specifically. But yes. uh, So I'll I'll answer the question by telling a story about a friend of mine. Uh, And in college, she had this incredibly strong mix voice. She mixed everything. Um, And again, for those of you who are listening who don't know what I'm talking about, you either belt in your chest voice, which is the voice that sounds like your speaking voice, or you sing really high in this falsetto. But there's a mix in between that everybody has, men and women. Women tend to use it more. Men should use it more. Uh, And she had just developed this strong mix voice because she didn't think she could belt. I don't know where that came from, what childhood teacher had told her that. That's where it came from. And she came to me in frustration once when we were in college. I think it was probably her senior year and said, I, this is driving me crazy. Can I do what these other people do? We had just done a show together and these other women, I think it was Pirates of Penzance. 
these other women were belting, 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 and she she wasn't, and she sounded great. It was she certainly didn't need to change anything. But I said, yes, I think you can, and I did teach her how to access that voice. Mm-hmm. And then I said, now that you know how to access it, you have to decide what you want to do with it. Because I, I said I can I can show you the warning posts, like don't do this, you know, be careful of that. Um, and she took it and ran with it and developed this incredible belt. And she mm. then had all all of those voices to choose from, which was great. So yes, the answer is I do think everyone can be taught to belt. Um, I'm curious why you want, why you're asking. Well, I don't have a belt voice. And I, I often think other folks overuse a belt voice. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's the... Um, the ultimate goal, I would want to be very um, discriminating, but I, I just don't have that in my range. It hurts. And I know I know I had nodules years ago, okay. so I did the vocal rest for six weeks yep. and did for yes and for no, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and, um, and they developed why? Do you know why? Well, probably at the time because I was... In smoky bars back then, yeah. smoke. Yeah. Can you believe? Can you? Believe we were it? that stupid <laughs> that we let people smoke in bars. Yes. Um, so yeah, You're I was saying, performing. By the way, full disclosure: I smoked for twenty-five years. I yeah. I had smoked yeah. when I was younger. Had done a lot of other foolish things that I'm so grateful yeah. I'm in recovery now. But um, so there was a accumulative damage plus being in smoky environments. Yep. Singing rock and roll. And when yep. you do lounge gigs, you go four hours, yeah. five hours oh, yeah. sometimes. So I developed nodules. The doc said that my throat looked like raw hamburger. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And he said you could do surgery or you could do vocal rest. And the mm-hmm. band, God love them, said they would go out and just do songs without me. Mm-hmm. And I could stay home and be quiet. So sweet. And I recovered. Yeah. But... I uh, am really conscious of not abusing right. any more than I've already abused. I'm talking about belting up high. Sure. That is not... It, okay, that is not something everybody has. Okay. Absolutely not. Okay. No, I think that's... No, some people... Um, your voice is your voice, and your voice has the breaks that it has right. where they are. Yeah. Um, I When I was talking with... Uh, with Dieter for this podcast, he said something that sort of made me laugh. He said, oh, you know, every baritone should have an A flat. And I I stopped him and I said, in your world, maybe. To me, that's a tenor, right? To me, a baritone should have a G. It's just a difference of opinion of where the voice should live. So no, some some people, and let's talk about women because the male voice sits differently. Some women have a comfortable, easy belt up to an A and not above. And that's... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Perfectly fine. Other women can belt an F, mm-hmm. like Ann Wilson or uh, Patti Lapone. Mm-hmm. These are singers who have this, but that's super unusual. Mm-hmm. That is not, I don't yeah. think everyone should be trying to sing up there like that. Not at all. What I was impressed by you the other night was how hard the stuff you were doing was and how you did it without ruining your voice you just shifted gears so beautifully i forget what song you did right before skeletons i don't know if you remember but it was high 
Mm. And you were singing high, 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 mm. high, high. And then everybody else left the stage. Gonna take a miracle? Yes. Yes, that is in the stratosphere. Which, and just And we sits moved there. it down from Laura Nero, Did the Patti really? LaBelle. We had to move it down, and it's still it's just still so... It's still really high. I felt like you guys did it in the key the Manhattan Transfer did a cover of it a few years I back, and I feel know. like that was the key they did. Anyway, because it just it, it rang right for me. Anyway, uh, and then you went on to this other one, and you just shifted gears beautifully. And I thought that's somebody who has been smart about this process mm. because you could so easily have blown yourself out and then had nothing for your next song, but you didn't. Well, was, thank I, you. I was watching that. I was I was impressed. Thanks. <laughs> So Leslie, thank you so much. This has been thank you. This has been such a joy. I'm I I'm sad I haven't seen you much in the last few years, but I'm super glad I saw you in the show on Mother's Day, and I'm so happy to be sitting here talking to you right now. And I hope I know we talked about this, but I hope we get to see each other more often. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Today, you heard Leslie sing her composition a cappella from Painting It Red. You can find Leslie on the web at leslieball.com. This episode brings us to the end of the spring 2018 season of Ask the Music Director, and I want to thank you all so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed meeting this talented group of Twin Cities music makers, and maybe you've even learned a thing or two from me, the music director, along the way. What have I learned? That I seem to be drawn to people engaged in work on the fringes. From Tyler Michael's new theater company to James Rocco's avant-garde art, to Leslie Ball's weekly experimental cabaret, I always want to hear about the new, the exciting, the cutting edge. I hope the same is true for you as well. I'll be back in the fall of 2018 with a whole new set of interviews, but in the meantime, I hope you will subscribe to the podcast. There will be a bonus episode or two coming this summer, and I wouldn't want you to miss anything. Do you have any comments, questions, suggestions? You can always reach me on Facebook at Ask the MD Podcast or on the webpage AskTheMDPodcast.com. Send your friends to find us on Apple Podcasts, the iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you get a chance, leave us a review. It'll help others find their way to us. Thank you. Thank you.